Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Jill, Jill Uchiyama. Welcome to the show, Jill. Hi, Simon. Hi. Looking forward to this. We had such a great conversation like six weeks ago or so, and you've been on a, a trip since then, boondocking. Uh, Jill has actually explained what boondocking means. <laughs> so it, it's hiring a van and driving around uh, campsites. Um, but Arizona, it's got to be hot, right? It's got to be really in. Super hot, 107. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So Jill is uh, an adoptee and um, you're also a poet. So we, I just thought we'd do, uh, we, we tried this uh, with another poet on the show a few weeks ago. So I thought it'd be an interesting way to um, just dive in. So if you maybe read a poem and then we'll, we'll have a discussion. On sure. The um, I've recently self-published a book called Out of the Fog, Poems of Nature, Nurture, and Imagination. And all of the poems are um, to do with the theme of adoption and being an adoptee. And it has kind of been significant because it's been a process of coming out of the fog as I've written these um, poems. And they kind of tell the story of um, all the different aspects of what it's like to be an adoptee from the time you're in the womb until the present time and reunification with birth parents and all of that. So the poem I want to share is called The Good Stuff. And um, I'm hoping this will help kick us off with a cool discussion. Um, This Poem, well, I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to read it to you. The good stuff. The DNA kit was like a box full of birthdays. First, the little vial squeaking out of its home. Then the solution in plastic waiting to be released. Outside my window, the birds settled down. Gently, I pulled my hair back, opened my mouth, to spit into the little tubular opening all the questions of my life. I spit again, coming up for air and more saliva, the good stuff collecting into happy bubbles, shining and bright. I spat until I filled the line, until we were both satisfied with the amount, examined the DNA as it began to tell stories to itself, Tiny helixes tossed, but intact. Capping the sample with a snap, I kissed it goodbye in its little box, the cosmos already wise to its secrets. In California, a lab worker throws the brave ancestral liquid into a silicon spinner. Shards of shared human stories dance and bounce apart in the breaking. I imagine in that soup, deep in time, Neanderthals shaping their tools of flint, banging out progress and new dreams, reindeer herders talking to the sky. There, our human story spins out rays, the way the merry-go-round at school took your running legs wildly off the ground. There, in that galaxy which hugs us to life, each human, every being wonders, wonders about their mother. Yeah. Wow. So I'm I'm getting like a sense of excitement and looking forward. uh, And then I'm also getting a, um, a sense of I don't know, history and and ancestral stuff, looking looking back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the big big one, you save the big line for the end, the the wondering, the wondering stuff. And uh, and the way, but you you, you read it, you you didn't read it as if the wondering, that you were worried about the wondering. So I, I I tend to when I when I'm wondering about stuff, 
often there's a sense of foreboding and what might go wrong. You didn't, Mm. you didn't, that, that, that didn't seem to be for you where you were at, you weren't at with a wonder in in the wondering. It it was quite a level headed kind Mm. of slightly (laughs) detached. I'm not bothered about, I'm I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the outcome. Yeah, yeah, that's really? right. Yeah, you you weren't worried about the when you said you kissed it, you kissed it goodbye. You know, you kissed mm-hmm. it goodbye, goodbye. Um, and I, I'm also thinking because I did this last year, right? I did the DNA stuff last year, and okay. I didn't have anything like that. For me, it was just it 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 it, it lacked that magic that it clearly had for you. Hmm. Right. Uh, I know it's funny because I've always been surprised when people have had those um, feelings of worry about what they're going to find out um, because that wasn't really my experience at all. It was more of the wonder and um, the openness to it and, you know, and being connected to ancestors uh, for the first time, even if it's just symbolically through a little vial full of saliva, <laughs> yeah, um, okay. it, it kind of opened doors for me. Yeah. So, and there's there's a real joy in that. Um, you know that that I think is that deep time um, connection to being a human being and to having, you know, this body and mind made thousands of years ago, actually, um, to have it emerge in a different time period, um, rather than just what happened 25 years ago or 30 years ago, is a different orientation to being, I think. Same more. Uh, <laughs> a well, different orientation to being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what opened up for me during DNA testing is that idea that, you know, we always think of our ancestors as sort of this close-knit group of, you know, mom, dad, parents, and then, you know, grandparents, and maybe not much beyond that. But I think the beauty of doing DNA testing is that you actually get rooted, you get yourself rooted in something much, much deeper than, than just what, you know, these, you know, relatives that are close by. So, um, and I think for some adoptees that could happen, you know, naturally as you find fifth cousins and sixth cousins and 10th cousins, you know, that's how I went about it. I, I didn't find close relatives for a long time. So for me, I was, you know, finding some connection to people who were very far removed. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's two sorts of wondering, isn't there? There's a scale of wondering because, like, you know, think of a kid's wonder, you know, wonderful you know, full of wonder, and, right. and it, 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 it's it's openness, and and it, and it is a sense of yeah, it's a sense of wow. Whereas where I went with wonder and 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 in this sense with the DNA test was more like rumination and worrying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's just a, you know, but it's another. I mean, that's all that there too but it's another it's just another orientation to it I think is to um, to see it as possibility instead of what oh god what's going to come my way you know or how am I going to finally find my, my my birth mother or how am I going to find my like a like a uh, the end of a quest 
So yeah. whether there's a desperation, whether there's, you know, uh, this, I'll, I'll finally get the truth of who I am. You weren't right. that either. Uh, well, that was in there. I mean, that I was hoping to find it. Um, I really didn't know. You weren't tight. You weren't. You, you weren't. You didn't have a tight grasp. You weren't grasping. You weren't grasping at straws, though. That's not what came over in the poem, anyway. No, it was more. I mean, it was with the intention of finding my birth family. Um, but um, maybe I should back up and put this in a, a different context, which is having been um, in a spiritual community for. 10 years, and I was introduced to some pretty far out concepts of belonging and being <laughs> and becoming. Um, and one person that really affected me was a cosmologist named Brian Swim. And that's Swim with two M's and an E at the end. <laughs> and uh, he, um, he is a pretty amazing person because uh, I get to spend a weekend with him, with a group of friends, listening to him lecture about um, our ancestors, you know, the galaxies. Now, try that one on. <laughs> our yeah. ancestors, yeah. the galaxies. <laughs> and he would explain the galaxies and talk about them in such a way that you, you started to actually realize that they were like us. You know, they had a birth and they had a life and they had an ending. And um, that that's where we come from. I mean, that's where these bodies are from, right? So it's a different orientation than just, I was born in 1968 to, to these two people and put up for adoption. It kind of flies in the face of all of that because it makes you realize, well, who are you actually? You know, are you really just that person that was born in that year? Or are you somebody that was actually, uh, has been around for a while? And it's, um, it's a little bit of a different, more of a cosmic perspective on ourselves, you know, which I, I think that kind of, when you're opened up to that, you know, um, and you've been exposed to it and you start to realize that that's you, you know, the stuff that's going on in the night sky is part of your family, actually, which is not an orientation that we're brought up with. We don't, we're not educated toward that, um, at least not here in the West, which is really the place we should be educated toward that. But we're not, we have to find these things out. And then once you connect with it, you sort of realize, you know, family is, is a lot of things. And that's something I tried to do in my book was, was expand that view of family so that it isn't just about mom and dad, as important as they are. It's about everything else, too. Yeah. I, I read a book by one of the astronauts who talks who had uh, one of these enlightenment experiences looking down on earth i can't remember who do you know if you do you know who i'm talking about one of the Amer it was, it was definitely one of the american astronauts yeah, yeah. I, I, he, he obviously the yeah um i, I was <laughs> it wouldn't be a cosmonaut talking about that stuff <laughs> um, but he yeah he he had uh he had a spontaneous moment where uh, of big seeing is it ken show experience or something like it's called a ken show experience when a, a a a huge explosion in your perspective so right. you know and in, in in a good way right so it means right. um you to, to him he's looking down at earth and and he can see for sure that, that the flat earth people have got it wrong. <laughs> he, right. he, has, he has probably the most, one of the most ultimate perspectives visually, right? Because he's on 
you know, he's he's from outer he's he's from outer space, right? Or he's um yeah he's in outer space. So it's it's um and and I, I like the the other thing that I connect with this is it's like um that a lot of the African is this come to Africa you know it takes a village to to re uh, to raise a kid. So if you if you look at it on a spectrum, you've got right okay. So you've got um well for. for I was born a year before you, but I, and my birth father wasn't hanging around. That's why uh didn't want anything to do with her. So it was going to be her with her mum and dad, or it was going to be adopted parents. Right, that 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 was it. So you've got okay. So you've got birth mother, adoptive parents. Then you've got village, village to raise a child, and then you've got. A, a long way removed from that, you've got um, the the cosmos is our is our brothers and sisters, so it's it's a big leap, mm -hmm. big leap, um, and but but what does what does that all mean? It it means a clearer sense. A clearer sense of being. Does it mean are, are we, we? We're well away. We're we're well away from any um, sense of uh, sense of uh, a, a a a puny a puny kind of sense of self. Like right. just poor, poor little me. Poor little me. Poor little me. I don't belong in a cosmos that made me. <laughs> well that's the thing right um so what's coming up for me here is is this this phrase uh or this sentence we're not human beings having a spiritual experience we're spiritual beings having a a human experience right so the human experience is the body part that's, right. that's the meat suit whereas the spiritual essence is the consciousness in which the body is arising yes <laughs> both both are in there <laughs> both are in there yeah so uh, I'm identifying as consciousness, not the context of my consciousness. Yeah, well, we're, I mean, both are true. And the body is, so, I mean, where did the body come from? Aren't we made of stardust? Okay, I mean, I, I, yeah. you've got me, keep going, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's what I'm told. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if you if you spend time with these cosmologists that talk about where you know where this human form comes from, that is ultimately where it comes from. We come from different. We come from space. We come from another place. Um, the it's taken many 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 billions of years of evolution to make us to make to make to have this conversation. So just to have this conversation, but it's a very different orientation than just seeing it from the smaller package. It's like Russian dolls, you know, yeah. where you, you just see it from the smaller place of what my mom did to me, which is in there and it's valid, but it's not the only, it's not the only part of the picture, you know? So for me, perspective has been really a lifesaver. It's been about perspective and um, understanding ourselves, not from some way out spiritual new agey place, but actually from science. And DNA testing is a piece of that to remind us that we come from some, you know, we come from deep time. We we don't just come from 
you know, 1968 or when, whatever year you were born in. Yeah. It is also kind of weird that I, I, a lot of the people on the show, right, are, are within a year or two. This, <laughs> this isn't this isn't an unusual occurrence for me. Uh huh. I'm often, Lots of Gen I'm, Xers. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, there's there's lots of 67, 68, 66s. You know, there's there's right. There's, there's lots of us around it. So, um. Perspective has been a lifesaver for you. Yes. So yes. Can, you, can you share some more on that? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of ways to um, to get into that. It's not something you're taught in school. <laughs> um, I think even the way we teach history is so flat. And um, well, at least the way I was taught history which was really just memorizing these dates of, you know, the Civil War or whatever. Uh, and it's just so boring and, and meaningless, right? Well, when you put yourself in um, this very enlivened picture of history, which has everything to do with your life, actually, has everything to do with what it, what everything that you are standing on, matters it isn't just some boring detail from the past you know when the beatles played at shea stadium and knocked everybody's socks off they were bringing in ushering in a new form of consciousness during that concert that's why everybody was screaming <laughs> you know if you watch it from that perspective it's it's fascinating actually because they were really busting through a lot of old structures, this old hierarchy and old structures that weren't serving people anymore, you know? And there was this new sense of human being and a new freedom that came out of it. But I believe that that's what history is built on, is just a series of those moments where, you know, we have now this expanded sense of consciousness because of everything that came before. So can you tie that? I, I, I love it. And I'd love you if you tie it a little bit more into, you know, the fact that perspective has been a lifesaver for you. What do you mean? Like a shift in your perspective has been a lifesaver? Yeah, a shift. The ability to see that... Um, that you belong, you act actually really belong. And not just that you belong, but you matter. You know, it, it's it, whether, whether you believe in God or not, you know, you can't get around this fact that everything that came before you, whether you understand it or not, why it happened, why it, why it happened the way it did, is an indication to you that, um, that it isn't just nothing, you know, there's been, there is progress going on in the world. Um, and there's lots of lenses that we, we can look at the world. You know, we can only look at the bad news that goes on every day and get really, really depressed about it. We can only look at the bad stuff that goes on in our families or the way people make us feel because we're adopted or whatever it is that is one perspective. That's one lens to look at the world through, but there's other lenses also. And I think that, you know, um, you have to fight for that. You have to actually fight for that perspective because it doesn't just come your way every day. Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on in the world, but it's like, what do you choose to put your attention on is, is really what, ends up creating you in the end it's a choice yeah yeah so can you give me can you give me the listeners some um some examples of uh shifts in your perspective that have helped you along the way uh i think one shift um you know has been really looking at 
well, this cosmic perspective, which I mentioned, Brian Swim, who's a wonderful cosmologist, he's very inspiring to listen to. I think just getting into the habit, it, into good habits of um, really spending time, you know, listening to people who have something really positive to say, you know, and it's coming from their own experiences. Um, there's a wonderful show on Netflix, I think. It's it's um, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And, you know, these are two different men, two different leaders, faiths. And they come together and it's a show about joy. And I mean, I watched this movie and the first 10 minutes, I'm like, oh God, how can we even get there to joy? You know, I mean, when you spend all your time reading the news, you know, the horrible, horrible news every day. And then you see a show like that. You spend time watching that. It puts you in a different place it puts it shifts your perspective so those are small shifts um just in what you choose to fill your brain with you know um choosing to do a meditation practice where i actually have to let go of my of all of my thoughts and my relationship to my thoughts and my feelings and all the things that i'm stuck in and trying to work out once a day just let it go once a day and see what happens. You know, those, those are exercises to help us. Have there been any specific shifts in, um, or like insights about you and the, and the adoption story? You, you, you related, you said something earlier on about poor little me. Right. So on the one hand, we've got poor little me. And then on the other hand, we've got the whole universe. Right. Yeah. So, this, I, so the where joy, are we? I, where the are we joy of belonging. The joy to... of the joy of belonging. Right. Because you felt you didn't belong at some stage. Well, um, there are all these layers to the onion, right? <laughs> So the, the layers of being adopted and, and being in a forced closed adoption where, you know, and I talk a lot about that in some of these poems in my book, you know, this, this idea, there's one poem called Real Mother. And um, it's, you know, I'm nine years old talking about being adopted with my friends and my mom comes in and says, no, don't talk about that. It makes me feel like I'm not your real mother. And that split that happens there between us, where now I'm becoming uh, this person who can't talk about who I actually am. That's become taboo. So in a sense, that, that can disconnection from belonging that was enforced by people who thought they had a better narrative than I did, <laughs> or that that was true. You know, the true narrative is we don't belong, but we try to belong. We learn to belong, and it becomes a lifelong process. Learning how to belong becomes a lifelong process. And 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 yeah, it's. It's also sparked by uh, a, a big in, insight listening to a cosmologist, right? Right. So it, it, right. One, one is... So both are true. It's like both are true, both right? Are true. On a smaller level, on a personal level, we have all these emotions and thoughts that we have to contend with. Right? And we have to figure out how how is it that I'm going to belong when I can't even discuss myself or my ancestry is cut off from me, which is why in the book there's joy at, at being finally being able to open that up. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got the truth of the fact that you already belong. You know, it's kind of like what they say about enlightenment. It's, you know, you can spend your entire life trying to get enlightened or you can just understand you're enlightened <laughs> you know 
it's a paradox. It, it is. It is. And uh, I've heard a guy, the guy I know check all the time, this Rupert Spira chap. He he says there's there's no such well, he says there's no such thing as enlightenment. There is only endarkenment. So we are the light, and then that light is veiled. So it's a matter of seeing what's behind the veil rather than going, you, you can't be enlightened because you're already the light. You can't, you, you know, you can't, the, the sun shines because it's the sun. It's self-illuminating. It, it, can't, it can't shine on itself because it, it is already shining. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So I love that endarkenment thing. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what I how I feel about it. It sounds I, I maybe Louisa. I don't I don't understand it. So an enlightenment is the process of becoming enlightened, of, be, of becoming the light. But if you are already but but if you are already the light, you just don't see it. Mm. It's a seeing thing. It's like um, we we go uh, it's, well um, the, the 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 story of the prodigal son right in the Bible is the he he can't he, he's not happy at home and and he goes all around the world he doesn't find happiness and then he comes back and he it, it was there it was there all along so he was he was the light. At, 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 at any at, before he went on his journey, during his journey, he was always the light. It was just that that light was it. It was it was veiled like um, mm. like a curtain hides hides the like a curtain hides the light right outside of a of a of a house. Yes, well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, that's how I think most of us see ourselves as, you know, we don't see necessarily our light. Um, we don't see that we are the light. We don't appreciate that we that. are the light. We are the light. Yeah, right. We are the light, uh, except for maybe a sense of faith that we are or uh, moments when we see it. It's a case of mistaken identity. Mm. And and as adoptees, we're often very confused about identity. Right. Most of us right. have had two names. Even you know, most of us have had two names. At least. Uh, with yeah, at least. <laughs> right. Yeah. And exactly. and obviously women and and that and 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 that um, if they become if they've been married, then you know they've ch changed the name if they've stuck with the uh, the tradition of that. But even as blokes, right? So you're talking to you're talking to Simon Jonathan then, but I was David Anthony Flower for the first five weeks. Or was I? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, was I? Right. Who who was I when I was in the short term foster care? Right. So exactly. And and then when when my birth mother when Pat picked me up from that short term foster care, then she would have called me David again. And then I'm 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 take I'm handed over. I told you that I was. I told you that this was done in the agency was in Liverpool. Did I tell you about? It? No. No, no. I was going to mention it earlier when it was the the Beatles when you mentioned the Beatles. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we're confused about. We're very confused about identity. Or the the human race is very confused. About, yeah. Confused about identity. But but I wonder. Identities. Yeah. But I wonder, Simon, if that's um, that can also work in our favor, in a sense, because I think when some people are too sure of who they are, there's no room for anything else. You know, there's no room for them to even consider that they have 10th cousins out there or that, you know, they come from. Uh, another country other than Italy, and that's it. I'm from Italy, <laughs> you know. 
And it's like, well, no, there's more to it. Um, there's always more to the story. It's, you know, how much are you willing to find out? I think sometimes being adopted, I have felt like I could go anywhere in the world. I have a Japanese last name. I lived in Japan for five years and I can go in and out of different cultural groups. I've taught people from all over the world English and, um, and, and find a certain connection with everybody. And I attribute that to being adopted. But that was one of the positive things that happened for me was that it helped me become worldly um, and, and not tribal. Um, I, I, I actually don't like anything tribal, not even football teams. Um, <laughs> I just don't enjoy that, um, that kind of identity. And I'd rather identify with being a world citizen or a citizen of the cosmos than, um, you know, than just this Greek person from, you know, yeah. Indiana. <laughs> well, you've, you've said you've gone, you've gone worldly and tribal, but you, you, I always feel that you, you're, you're in the uh, otherworldly. Aren't you? You're in the universally. You're universally as yeah. well. Well, you might as well go for you know the biggest perspective possible, yeah. <laughs> right? Because so, look what happens to people if they're if it's only if you shrink your perspective down to the size of literally life and death decision. I don't belong. I don't belong here. There's a lot of adoptees that are desperate. A lot of people, not just adoptees, um, are desperate in their sense of identity. And we live in a time right now where identity is everything. Everybody is identifying in a particular way, whether it's, you know, I'm a non-binary um, person or I'm gay or I'm both, or I'm neither, or I'm against this or that, whatever it is. And, and I, my caution to all of that is, I think that's a beautiful thing. We should all know who we are. That's, I'm certainly a big fan of knowing who I am. And I love the fact that you know both of your names and I know my names, but uh, let's not get stuck in small a small sense of identity. Let's not forget that we're also part of something much bigger. And that's what makes us connected and belong and human. And it goes beyond those polarities. And that's what we need to do if we're really going to come together as, as human beings. We have to get beyond polarities. Yeah. In the yeah. United States, it's 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 awful, awful. Uh, it's 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 just exhausting to be on one side of the fence or the other all the time. And our media doesn't help it. And um, you know, and and we fall into that mindset with each other too. Um, I'm a Democrat. I can't possibly understand you. You're a Republican. <laughs> you know, it goes on and on. So as far as I'm concerned, the more sane view is a bigger view, which has to do with us all belonging. And not in some creepy way. You know, it's like, it, it's just, it's just reality. It's, it's, how we were brought into um, existence. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't think <laughs> say to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, hard to argue with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the, do you have a a, a, a sense of uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Do you have a sense of self then 
the, this world world person is is that you know, how how would you how would you sum up? Yes, I'd say um, it's like Russian dolls. They all they're all in there. They're all in there. There is a sense of uh, the smallest sense of self I can come to, uh, which is triggered and traumatized. Um, and working that out on a psychological level. And there's also the spiritual side too. So it's this continuum of understanding that, you know, if I get too uh, entrenched in this personal identity and psychological identity, because the truth, the reality is that I have two families and uh, both of them, uh, I don't quite fit into. And it's just the truth. Um, it's not because they don't love me. It's not, you know, because I don't love them. It's just the way it is. The circumstances made us, made it so. And there's, there's a lot about adoption. You just can't change that. It's just the truth. However, you can't get stuck there. So what what do you mean by the psychological identity? Uh, the part of me that, you know, grew up in this particular day and time and in this body and this mind um, that had to contend with two parents um, who adopted me and, and imposed a certain narrative on that situation. Um, the part of me that uh, I've had to become a whole person. Um, and, and I think through science and DNA testing, it's allowed me to do that. I've been able to understand my biological life more and those relationships and where I come from and how I was built, you know, and that um, that's all part of the psychological in my mind. Is that where the damage is done? Is just the primal wound live in the psychological identity? Yeah. Does the trauma live in the psychological identity? Yes, definitely, it does. But that's it's there. That's it's, not the whole of who we are. It's not the whole of who we are. If you only stop there. You know, and it, it, it can get tricky because as you're trying to come out of the fog, at least for me, whew, when I was reading Nancy Verrier's book and, you know, and, and really going deep into some of that work, uh, you know, it's like, wow, your perspective shrinks very small. And it, as you're, as you're kind of, Honing in on that. It's like doing surgery on yourself. Um, that's how I felt. And then, you know, I have to, to kind of counterbalance it with meditation and other practices that open up, you know, that sense of other self. It's not just that that's true, but there's also this bigger sense of self. Uh, <laughs> I've thought the way the metaphor goes from out of the fog. So what we see, what we see out of the fog, um, what happened, you know, it, so you, you're saying fog. So we're using the weather as a metaphor. Have you thought about what you, do, you, do we see brilliant daylight? What, what is it, you know, what happens after? Uh, what I, well, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, the fog is what covers up our view. So we often don't even know that we are triggered or have traumas or we're acting out of things unconsciously uh, for most of our lives. Uh, I mean, I know I did. I had a terrible time with relationships and money, <laughs> self-worth. Um and, you know, I could never quite understand why, you know, I thought I had been doing a lot of great work, but 
when I finally understood um, what some of the deeper trauma was about and that it even existed, you know, because I think a lot of adoptees will pick up Nancy's book and go, ah, that's crap, you know, that's not me. I had wonderful parents. <laughs> you know, this, this is being in the fog. This is the idea of, of kind of covering up what happened there. And then when you expose it, you're able to deal with it. You're able to in integrate it into yourself, into your life, so that you have not somebody else's narrative as yours, but you start to develop your own. And whether other people like it or not, and they don't usually like it. So here's how I would see what happens after the fog. Okay. Continuing the metaphor. And I've thought about this and probably done it a couple of times in the podcast. So we, so the, the fog, when we're in the fog, we can't see the trauma. Okay. So the fog lifts. We look up and we can see this completely cloud laden sky right all we can see is clouds a big black cloud that covers pretty much everything that we can see and that that dark cloud is the trauma okay and then if we're lucky we can if we look really closely we can see a little tiny little gap of blue sky and when we see that we think, oh, there's, that's, that's a break in the trauma. But as we look closely and we go up towards that light blue sky, we go, our perspective increases and we see that we are actually the sky that's been obscured by the trauma and before it was obscured by the trauma of the cloud it was obscured by the trauma of the fog mm, i love that right on so it's a seeing thing yeah and to continue my story with your cosmologist approach then we keep on going through the sky and through the sky and then we see that we are the whole universe because we go through the strat we go through the stratosphere like the sky isn't a thing is it when you think about it, i was thinking about this yesterday walking the dog it's not a thing so it's not it's an illusion it's it's an illusion that means that it uh, that doesn't mean that it's not a well <laughs> yeah illusion <laughs> get. so we're, we're, so that's where we go in we're, we're gonna need a physicist in a minute here a Simon. yeah <laughs> um so and then the next thing is what does all that world sit in Right, you, 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 you. Are you, are you, are you a consciousness first person or a materialist first person? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, I, I, I'm not sure, but I would go with the consciousness. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so consciousness first, everything uh, awareness first. The the universe exists in awareness. Mm -hmm. So it's awareness first. Yeah, and, and it's not a thing, right? It's it's not dimensional. It's it's the reason we can't get a, a, a really we can't have a good sense of ourselves, right? We can't have a good sense of ourselves because we can't see who we are. Well, when we see who we are, we look like like we're our body, right? You, the five senses, five senses and thought. You can't get a sense of yourself because what you are is awareness, and it's not it's not a physical thing. Mm -hmm. I. I don't know. You just lost me there. <laughs> yeah, I lost myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, uh, awareness. Um, 
uh, uh, the awareness of the chicken or the egg. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, I, I, I guess the big thing here is the end of victim consciousness. Right. The, the end of poor little me. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a bigger picture view of who we are. Well, it's it's uh, maybe it's not the end of poor little me, but it's uh, putting poor little me in its rightful place. Okay. Where poor little me is not the whole picture. It never will be the whole picture. And it and and only ignorance will make it the whole picture. Ignorance wow. to this bigger picture, right? That's it. And and so it's not saying poor little me isn't there. It is poor little me, but that's not all. Yeah, we don't mean ignorance as in stupidity. We mean just not knowing not not, not not having that awareness of something else so and you have to be introduced to it it isn't always i mean it isn't always just coming to you rushing in like fireworks oh i'm part of the big bang you know i mean i mean people don't tend to think that way in a materialistic culture the way that we are we're not living in places in the world where spirituality is um, more of a context in, in living. We're, we're living in, in and being brought up in these very materialistic cultures. So how can people see it unless they, unless they work at seeing it, unless they, unless they look at other people for help with that? And or unless they stumble upon a podcast, unless they stumble upon a podcast or or, or a video of you know, a cosmologist who's pretty way out there and cool, yeah, or I mean, a book or whatever. I mean, it is there. It's around. It's in our universe. It's in our world. But um, but the media is so loud. The commercials are so loud. Our spending is so loud. It still is, and it's a battle of a lifetime to try to put that in its rightful place. Yeah. Or a journey. Yeah. Yes. So listeners, check out Jill's book and socials if you like this. The thing about poetry mm -hmm. is it, it, it's about and this is what Rupert, this is what I'm getting, I'm getting this from this Rupert Spire guy, but I'm getting it so I see it for myself. So it evokes stuff. So we we can't define it, but we can evoke it. Right. And it, evoke it brings us to Feeling it. Yeah. Well, that's what um, Billy Collins said. It's a, he's, he's a, a damn good American poet. <laughs> he said, uh, it's, it's the language of the heart. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks listeners. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.